Hey everyone, and welcome to Theonomony, where we seek to help the good man leave an inheritance to his children's children. This is Jeremy Collins, the host of Theonomony. I know that this week, part two of the parable of the laborers in the vineyard should be dropping, but what I am addressing today was important enough that I wanted to drop an episode on it while it was still fresh rather than waiting a few weeks until hardly anyone remembers what was said. But if you didn't catch last week's episode, make sure to download it and listen to it after you finish this one so that you are ready for next week's episode when it drops. What I am responding to today is Tim Keller's recent statements that dropped on Woke Preacher Clips' YouTube channel. The title you see here is Missions and Racism, But the title I almost went with is Response to Tim Keller, because, as I just said, this episode is responding to Tim Keller's clip about missions fundraising and systemic racism from that video that dropped a week ago. But I didn't want to go with a super clickbaity title that might make me seem like just another Cage Stage discernment blogger, so I went with a bit more descriptive one. Now, how does a video like that relate to a theonomic economics podcast like Theonomony? That is because Keller was critiquing a certain way that funds are raised for missionaries, and since his critique was more on the economic side, the money side of being a missionary, it is closely enough related to the theme of this podcast and important enough of a statement that I wanted to take an entire episode to discuss and refute it. But before we jump into that, I want to ask you all, if you haven't already, to subscribe to the podcast feed on whatever podcast catcher you are using right now. CastBox is my personal favorite podcast app, but I know it is nowhere near the top and most of you are probably listening off of Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, and that's all right. I don't care what platform you are using to listen, just that you are listening. So whatever platform it is, please subscribe and turn on the auto-downloads so that you don't miss any episodes. And please rate and review the podcast so that it will be rated higher in the algorithm and other people will be able to see it. So back to the topic for this episode. We are going to look at some of the comments that Tim Keller made in this video that Woke Preacher Clips dropped a week ago. And if we have enough time, we might respond to similar comments that Keller did not make in his video, but other people have. And before I dive into the meat of this episode, I just want to say that if you really like what you hear in this episode about the money side of missions, the part of it where missionaries raise support to go into the field, then download episode 9 with Alex Kochman and listen to it after you finish this one. He and I talked about the organization where he works, ABWE, the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism, 
and also about some of the fundraising elements that go into missions work. So back to Tim Keller. If you saw the video that Woke Preacher Clips dropped a week ago from Tim Keller talking about fundraising for missions and how this is an example of systemic racism, then you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't heard about it, then yes, you just heard me correctly. Tim Keller made a statement about how the traditional deputation style of fundraising your own support for missions is an example of systemic racism. Let's look at what exactly it was he said. That way I can respond to what he actually said, not to a straw man of what was said. So first I'll give you the description of the video that Woke Preacher Clips gave, which will give the background to what was said. It reads, Famed New York pastor Tim Keller says a system of injustice in American evangelicalism is the custom of churches and parachurch organizations asking volunteers and missionaries to do their own fundraising. This clip comes from a June 2021 online discussion with Dr. Anthony Bradley for the downtown campus of New York's Redeemer Presbyterian Church. So that was the description that Woke Preacher Clips gave. Now let's look at what Keller said in the video. It was only a three minute long clip, so I want to read to you the entire transcript. That way we can look in detail at what he said and we can't be accused of just picking the worst parts to make our response easier. And this transcript is thanks to Woke Preacher Clips who provided the transcript in the description of the video and by that he saved me a lot of time typing it out myself. So here it is. A great example of systemic racism is the traditional evangelical approach to fundraising in which you ask Christian staff workers to raise their own support. I see that as systemic injustice, in spite of the fact that there is, frankly, our denomination does it both for missionaries and for our redeemed, reformed university fellowship. The reality is, after 50 years of watching people do this, I never realized, and you know, in other words, it's not just African Americans, but Hispanic and Asian Americans. Even Asian Americans, we've got a couple generations of people in this country, and everybody's a professional. They still can't raise their own support. It took me 50 years to realize that accumulated wealth in your family and friendship networks takes generations to develop. Generations. So recent immigrants or African Americans who've been here from the beginning, but who, because of slavery, then Jim Crow laws, then redlining laws, everything is, they've just got no money in their networks. They just don't. And if you send them out and say, raise your own support, they can't. So then what happens is, and so many of these evangelical organizations, they basically are because they can't do that. They never move up and really become part of the power. And has our denomination participated in that? Yes, it still is. That's a pretty uncomfortable thing to say. But the fact is that if we started to say, oh, guess, you know what? We're going to totally change that. We're going to fund everybody, essentially. We're going to raise money centrally, centrally and then just pay all of our workers. Now, the reality is that it's much harder to raise money that way, and it takes more time and effort and all that. And so these missions organizations and denominations don't want to do it, and they won't even be open to it. But it's a version of systemic racism. 
Now, I don't know whether everybody, my guess is a lot of people on the call, if you, unless you've been involved in the evangelical world for a long time, don't even maybe know what I'm talking about hardly. And it's just a blind spot. And why can't we address that? Why can't we say we're going to try to do something else? Why can't we say we're going to try to do something about that? You really could, frankly. I think there are things you could do. But you, unless you have the discussions, these things, most of us, especially as white people, just sort of, this is the way it's always been done. I'm not a racist, so how could you call that systemic racism? I have to say, every time I ever bring it up, I just never get any response from anybody. People just say, that's Tim's hobby horse. But I said, if you're non-white and you've tried to raise your own support in one of these organizations, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, to me, it was one of the things that proved the reality of the hangover. I mean, just how deeply our past is affecting African Americans now. You know, the whole idea that, well, that was in the past, and now, you know, it's a level playing field. Get out there and work hard. That's gone in my mind. I began realizing what? No, it takes generations for the playing field to become leveled. Far more than we've had. What Keller is critiquing here has been called in the past the deputation style of fundraising for missions work. If you listen to the episode on missions with Alex Kochman, then you know that deputation is a bit of an outdated term these days, but I grew up calling it that, and it's a very specific term, so for this episode, I am just going to use it. Deputation refers to when missionaries have to travel the country going from church to church and or conference to conference, finding individuals and churches to support them financially so that they can have enough monthly support to go to the field. This is contrasted with the more central style of missions fundraising, where everybody sends their funds to the agency. Then the agency checks out each missionary family and decides whether or not they will be funded. And if so, they are typically funded immediately, not having to spend a couple years traveling to churches asking for donations. So the less work and time to get on the field is a benefit of the other style of fundraising for missions. The benefit of the deputation style is that the churches know the missionaries they are supporting and get in-person updates whenever a missionary family is on furlough and passes through the area. They also give directly to the missionaries via the missions agency, so there is a lot less red tape and much lower costs for the missions agency, which is why the missions organization that I grew up in didn't take a percentage off the top from donations like most do. They just asked you to give like 2 or $3 a month for each missionary you support to cover the agency's costs. But enough about the differences between the styles, since that doesn't relate too much to what Keller said. That background info was just important so everyone can be on the same page and grasp what Keller was saying and what I am saying in response. So deputation for missions is something I am actually quite familiar with. I grew up in an organization called the BBFI, which stands for the Baptist Bible Fellowship International. And despite the theological differences that I now have with the denomination I grew up in, I still have a lot of respect for their missions agency and the work they do, 
and growing up in that organization, at one point wanted to be a missionary in it, having lots of friends who are current or former missionaries in the organization, and at one point working at a church camp within the organization. I know a thing or two about the whole deputation process. Deputation does go a bit smoother and a bit faster if you are well connected. But a lot of those connections are based off of how connected your family is in the organization and how much work you put in, not anything to do with your skin color. In fact, I think it is pretty racist of Tim Keller to assume that black people are less connected than white people. It is another one of those racist assumptions of low expectations that men like Samuel Say have addressed. People who say things like that are the actual ones with the white savior complex they often accuse others of having. But back to raising support and connections. Let's use myself as a case example of raising funds if I was going to be a missionary within the BBFI, the organization I grew up in, and using my connections or lack thereof. So with the BBFI, and I assume this is pretty similar for most denominations or organizations. If a relative went to the denomination's college or is a pastor or missionary within the organization, then you can get connected pretty easily. I didn't have any of that growing up in the BBFI. What I did have was that I grew up in one of the largest churches in the organization and a lot of people in the BBFI knew one or more of the pastors in my church. And while my church was one of the largest in the organization, it wasn't so big that you didn't know the pastors. I was pretty close with almost all of them when I graduated high school. And just so you're not picturing some mega church I grew up in, when I was in high school, we, on a good day, broke a thousand, so it wasn't this ginormous church. So that part of my connections were outside of my control. That benefit was just based upon the church my parents joined before I was born. So I guess anyone taking Keller's view here could respond that this was still easier for me because I was white than if I was black. But once again, that has at its core the assumption that black churches aren't as big or black pastors aren't as well connected as white pastors or black churches don't give as much to missions organizations and Bible colleges as white churches or some similar assumption. None of those are things that I'm going to just assume about black churches, but something along that line has to be assumed to argue this point of my connections within the BBFI, saying that they were only because I was white. Now, there are other reasons why I am so connected in the BBFI. But those are even worse for the argument that they only exist because I am white. For several summers, I worked at Camp Chautauqua in Ohio, a church camp where a lot of people in the BBFI got saved or decided to go to Bible college to become pastors or missionaries. Many, if not most, of the pastors and youth pastors who brought their churches there graduated from one of the two colleges of the BBFI. While I was at the camp, I worked hard and made myself become distinguished as one of the best workers they'd had in a long time, which gave me good references within the organization. And I also spent a lot of time 
talking to and becoming friends with the pastors who brought their churches to the camp. At one point, a friend of mine who was planning to become a missionary with her husband made a comment that she needs to be like me because as we were walking through the camp to clean something up, I briefly talked to multiple pastors that we passed along the way because I had talked to them enough that week or in previous summers to get to know them. Part of that was because I ran sound for a lot of the camps that didn't have their own sound guy, but I still have to make an effort to get to know those pastors as well as I did. But I still had to make an effort to get to know those pastors as well as I did. So if I were to become a missionary within the BBFI, my deputation would be a lot easier than other people's because of those connections that I made by putting in extra effort to talk to pastors while I worked at a church camp. Another reason I became well-connected within the BBFI is because I went to the older, more well-known of the two schools within the organization. While there, I had jobs on campus, I did well in class, and I was friends with a lot of the professors and faculty. The staff at the college liked me, even if they didn't like that I was a Calvinist. The college had some issues with how Calvinist students were sometimes treated. But despite that, I was able to have a reputation that outshone my Calvinism because of how hard I worked and my character. I had better hope that those making claims like Keller did here aren't going to say that hard work and character are white things because that is horribly racist. All that to say, I had to work to make my connections. Even when those other pastors knew my pastor growing up, I still had to make a connection with him. It just may have been easier because the man knew one of my pastors, but that didn't make it effortless. And also, if I were to become a missionary, I'm not part of a BBFI church anymore, so if I was going with a different denomination, all those connections wouldn't do a ton to help me. Some of the churches might still be willing to support me going through a different organization. But all that to say, if I was to become a missionary in some other organization, then there goes a lot of the connections I already have that Tim Keller's talking about, all these connections people have. And sure, my friends whose fathers and maybe even their grandfathers are pastors and or missionaries within the BBFI have more connections than me, and that might help them if they become missionaries within the organization one day. But that doesn't mean anything. We all have certain privileges because of our heritage if we have faithful parents. Whenever you see the child of a famous musician become a famous musician himself, or the child of a famous athlete become an athlete himself, that child probably had to do less work to get that than his or her parents did. They mainly had to focus on the skill required because the connections required were already taken care of by the parents. That isn't a melanin issue. That is just some children, regardless of skin color, have privileges because of what their parents have done. That isn't an issue. Good parents should try to climb the mountain as high as they can and then help their kids climb higher than they did. That isn't wrong. To claim it is wrong is wrong. So, in short, it isn't wrong for you to have an easier time raising support as a missionary because your 
dad or grandpa or uncle or whoever was a pastor or missionary within the same organization or even a different organization because churches outside of your denomination can still support you as a missionary. I care more that someone is a solid believer with a solid gospel presentation than whatever missions agency he partnered with. Now, Tim Keller's point in the video was that supposedly white people have more of those connections than minorities, black minorities in particular, but also Hispanics and Asians. So there are several things I want to say with this. Let's look at them one at a time. If the minority person is someone who moved to the States recently, say he is a first-generation person to live in America, or second or even third, then naturally he will have less connections than someone who has lived here for two or three times that many generations. Although how much of an introvert you are has a lot to do with that. Someone who spends a lot of time connecting with people at his local church and other local churches in the area will have more connections, regardless of whether his family has lived in the U.S. for two years or two centuries. Also, a lot of minorities are well-connected with each other. I am at a Korean church. Sometimes it is difficult because while I'm not the only person there who isn't fluent in Korean, I know the least amount of Korean in the church, which is why having English and Korean sermons is helpful. That also means that I know what it's like to be in the minority. But back to the Koreans in my church. There is a big group of Korean churches within several hours of me, and at least some of them seem to be pretty connected, even having meetings at least once a year for all of them who want to be involved in it. So if a Korean high schooler at my church wanted to be a missionary after he graduates, and myself and the others involved in the leadership of the church bedded him and thought him to be up to the challenge, having both an internal and external call, then he could pretty quickly get connected with many of the Korean churches in my state. And I'm sure at least some of them would be willing to financially support him. So there's just an example of how it seems that minorities like to connect together, which makes sense. People like to connect with people that are like you, especially when you're not in the majority. I mentioned how Calvinists weren't treated the best at times at my college and that made all of us who were Calvinists love to hang out with each other because we agreed on theology and some of the other students at the college really didn't like that we were Calvinists. Now, are there people like Tim Keller is talking about in this video? People who have lived in the U.S. for generations but still have few connections that could help them raise financial support as a missionary because of a legacy of slavery? Well, if you've read a lot of Thomas Sowell, and if you haven't, you really should. He is amazing. If you've read a lot of Thomas Sowell, then you know now, over a fifth of the way through the 21st century, culture has a lot more to do with many of the issues we still see in some black communities than a legacy of racism does. If it was just a legacy of racism and slavery, then why were black families more intact a couple decades before 1965 than a couple decades after 1965? Why were black unemployment rates about the same as white unemployment rates a couple decades before 1965 
whereas they became much worse in the decades that followed. Why could I, as a white man, walk into the projects 80 years ago and feel more or less safe, where if I did that now, I'd be robbed or killed before I left the building? That's because culture and welfare, as Thomas Sowell has pointed out, has more to do with it than any legacy of slavery or segregation. Look at slavery and the decades following its end in our nation, and you will see that historically, black people have been some of the strongest and most courageous people in our land. But paying women to be single mothers through welfare, paying men to not have jobs through welfare, and the ghetto culture, those things have ruined many young people and led them to not grow up to be the strong men and women their grandparents and great-grandparents were. Their ancestors could face any hurdle and come out stronger, making a way for themselves despite any obstacle. We still see some of that today with men like Thomas Sowell or Dr. Ben Carson, but so much of it has been lost. And now, if there is a missionary who, for any reason, even a legitimate form of racism, is struggling to raise enough funds to get on the field, then I will do what I can to help as I'm sure most believers with the resources to do that would. Whether that be funding him directly out of my own pocket, making social media posts, linking to his support page on both my personal account and Theana Money's account, or even bringing him on an episode, I would be willing to do it, and like I said, so would most other believers if they are able to. That isn't being okay with systemic racism, and the deputation process just because we are too comfortable with the way things are to try to change it. Quite the opposite, actually. Now, it is interesting that Keller, being someone who has low-key tried to make socialism look like a viable alternative for Christians, thinks that deputation, which you could more or less call the free market version of missions fundraising since it is done more grassroots and there is a close relationship between the church or individual and the missionary that he thinks that's racist. This implies that the better system is one like the IMB, although Keller is a Presbyterian, so he probably didn't have them in mind. It's just that the IMB is the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of examples of the other style. But that statement implies that styles where the church sends funds to a missions agency who determines what missionaries it will support and then gives them funds. It's a, he's, what he's saying implies that that's a better system. With deputation, the church sends $200, $50 earmarked for that missionary, $50 to this missionary, and $100 to another. With the other system, the church sends their $200 and the missions agency gives it to who they see fit to give it to. And since I named the IMB in particular, I hope this is an accurate description of them. I know that many agencies do it this way, and as far as I know, the IMB is one of them. But I don't know the ins and outs of the IMB like I do the BBFI. Does that sound like something else? Because to me, it sounds more like socialism. The highly intelligent missions agency directs the church's missions funds as they see fit, 
rather than the direct church to missionary, albeit with the channel of an agency model. I hope I am wrong on this, but calling the more free version of funding missionaries racist, which implies that the more controlled version is better, just really feels like a way to try to get more economic oversight in everything, including how we get enough money to missionaries for them to get on the field. What sounds more like the free market? One where your church periodically has missionaries on furlough coming through and speaking on a Sunday or Wednesday evening to the church about how things are going in their country? where you know that missionary by name and your church may even have flags of every nation to which they support a missionary in the lobby or hallway? Or the one where you send your missions funds to an organization that sends it to missionaries you can only hope are the real deal and not teaching false doctrine? I think the one with a lot more local control is the answer. And now this isn't saying for sure that Tim Keller is trying to posit that. It's just saying that seems to be implied, and as far as I know, these are really the only two options you have for funding a missionary, but he's kind of saying the one is an example of systemic racism, so that seems to imply the other one must be the way we should do it. Now, in his video, he did say that churches and parachurch organizations don't like to do that more centrally planned way because it's a lot harder, but unless I'm missing something... And that clip from Woke Preacher Clips, all he really said is they don't like to do it because it's a lot harder. Which doesn't seem to be any kind of disagreement with it. Could even be something he agrees with and is just giving that as a reason why it doesn't happen more. I don't know. I probably should have listened to the entire talk if I can find it online, not just the three-minute clip. But all that aside, let's continue on. We're about wrapping it up here. I said earlier in the episode that I would try to address some related issues that Keller didn't mention in his video, and hopefully this is something Keller doesn't believe, and as far as I know, he doesn't, but it is a claim commonly used against Christians, the idea that missions is imperialism. The claim is that Christians just go out there to spread Anglo-Saxon culture, not actually to evangelize. So it is actually an imperialist conquest, not trying to spread the gospel. Although they may admit it is trying to spread the gospel, but even spreading the gospel is imperialistic because we are imposing our white religion on those precious, pure indigenous people groups. Because don't you know post-colonial theory? Indigenous people groups are pure and have never sinned, and only the mean people from the UK and the US made them sin by corrupting them, or something like that. If you want more on that, go check out the article I wrote for Cruciform Ministries recently on, on critical theories, total depravity. I think that was the final title we called it. It was about post-colonial theory and the biblical doctrine of total depravity. Now, I wish I had enough time to go into a more in-depth reputation, refutation of what I just said, but I'm already over my normal episode length. So this is all I'm going to say. It is perfectly fine for Christians to just laugh at such obviously false claims like this one. Just look at David Livingston, William Carey, David Brainerd, or John Chow. Now, have bad things been done in the name of Christ? Yeah. 
but that is taking the Lord's name in vain, which is kind of a big deal since it is one of the Ten Commandments. So people violating the rule doesn't prove that the rule is bad. So that was this week's episode of the Theana Money Podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it and learned a few things from it. One of the things I hope you don't go away with, though, from this week's episode is a newfound hate for Tim Keller or Big Eva. Frustration? Sure. Hatred of how he accused perfectly good strategies of fundraising gospel work of being an example of systemic racism? Sure. Hatred for possible motives he may have under the surface for doing that? Sure. Although with this, be extremely careful about assuming motivations when you have no proof. We aren't to be naive, but we also can't assume sinful motives without good reason to, because such assumptions are actually sinful. Also, this is a podcast on theonomy, so two or three witnesses. Just always two or three witnesses. The Bible always assumes that, even in the New Testament. Now, whatever you come away from this podcast episode with, don't hate Tim Keller to hate him as a result of what he said, no matter how wrong what he said is, to hate him because of it would be sinful. And as we go, I want to remind everyone that the law of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. So go apply that law in light of the gospel of Christ's atoning death and resurrection to every area of life. Grace and peace. Satisfies me Your law is sweet Oh you